You are listening to the podcast Invisible Fintech, Open Banking and APIs hosted by Amit Goel and Sally Rabindran from Medici. Hello and welcome listeners. I'm your host Amit Goel and this is the place where fintech banking and technology folks learn about how financial firms old and new are leveraging the power of APIs. Fintech companies have looked at API first development for long but banks and FIs have the potential to unlock everything from individual digital services to a full API ecosystem of developers and partners. We cover many facets of the API revolution in this podcast such as open banking, open APIs, banking as a service, financial infrastructure APIs and fintech APIs. And how these open several new business opportunities for banks, fintechs, and tech fins around consent-based data sharing and open API-based integrations. The whole world is building on APIs. Don't be left behind. Learn, collaborate, and execute fintech. Hello, listeners. Uh, welcome back to Invisible Fintech. Uh, today, we have a very interesting entrepreneur, Avitra Walbekar. Uh, he's based out of Pune in India, and he's the co-founder and CEO at Kudos Finance, uh, which also has uh, an NBFC license. Um, very happy to have you, Pavitra. Thank you, Amit. Thank you so much for having me on board. Right. And um, there are various ways to describe Kudos, but one of the words that I have picked up is, uh, you know, um, they like to call themselves as lending as a service. But, you know, it might be great to just jump in and, you know, Pavitra, if you can briefly explain your journey as an entrepreneur and what motivated you into sort of credit and finance space. Yeah, sure. Um, so just a little bit, right? Like I was actually, I'm a third generation from Pune. I was in US for six years. I got my undergrad degree in finance over there. Well, where I was working for Wells Fargo between 2005 and 2007, uh, straight out of college, I was studying subprime mortgages. So, um, and when 2007 Jan came around, the whole time that I was in San Francisco, all I could read was about the India story and China story. Like almost every newspaper article would always talk about how China and India are growing. So the allure of coming back to India and, and building something in India was just too great. Um, and in two, Jan of 2007, I quit my job at Wells Fargo where they gave my H1 visa. They wanted to pay for the masters, but I quit that and I came back. And um, I initially came back to set up an online education company. Um, this was to teach SAT uh, to kids sitting in US by tutors in India. Um, okay. Obviously that I had the idea was perhaps maybe too ahead of the time, uh, but it didn't work out. There was another company called Tutor Vista that got bought out by Pearson for 220 million, but our company went like, it, it just uh, didn't work out. But so this was 2008. I was just looking around as to what the next opportunity can be. And obviously everybody knows that credit in India is highly underpenetrated. So we, I applied for a license in 2009. I got the license in 2010. Um, and that's actually, you know, like there was still some family obligations that required my focus, but really the company started in 2014. So that's a little bit of a background as to, you know, why we came back into India, because just the allure for building something of your own, whereas just doing a job in the US was just not what I was cut out for. I felt I was existing, not living. Um, right. Yeah, that's a little bit background. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wells Fargo and 
edutech and and now lending as a service so what was was kudos uh tech first nbfc at the outset um or you kind of morphed into becoming a tech driven lender now uh, how would you describe it yeah that that's like you know from what we started as and what we are right now it's like completely i don't know 720 degrees turns right through it <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to describe it well and that's the honest truth because what happened is that the the way we started was to cater the msme segment which is basically the retailers the traders the kirana stores small garages restaurants um these are mom and pop shops right that you see every day when you're driving from office to home and that was the idea to cater to them there was a highly physical journey where we would i would like you know personally go collect the file meet the customer um we would underwrite him physically with his bank statements take his kyc documents and then the loan would take anything between 4 and 6 days to disperse and we would give it for 2 years right and we did it from, from 2014 like the company grew from a 2 crore to having one lender to having uh you know 11 lenders on board we did 75 to 100 crores worth of disbursement in the msme segment okay it uh, it, it had like three branches in pune one in nasik but increasingly as the years went on by like the 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 challenge of scaling that business was becoming more and more apparent right so the and i just want to so in that moment what happened is in 2017 actually uh, i got i got reached out on linkedin by bhaskar kode right who's now our head of platform actually and that was like a aha moment for us because what happened is he reached out saying that hey listen i have a fintech i need an nbfc to support me because i have made this card where i onboard uber drivers for petrol fuel consumption and mm-hmm. and that company went on to get funded by omidyar and so on and so forth but um so that was the aha moment the aha moment was if one fintech exists like that that needs a nbfc to support it then there must be other fintechs too so literally from the genesis of that idea of of that one partnership slowly and slowly it's taken more organic shape to actually completely transform into a um, lending as a service infrastructure play and i'm just going to go on a rant over here so, so you can get and then i'll leave it to you to unpack it but sure. um essentially what what lending consists of two parts the way i the way we look at it right one part is the product innovation and distribution right where you have to identify a customer you have to understand his need you need to know why you want to give him a loan what is his behavior what is the kind of product that is apt for that customer correct and the other piece of the lending piece, the lending puzzle is solving for capital getting the right cost of capital getting uh, your compliances in order having your back end having the tech stack to authenticate underwrite the customer have all of these back end services right? right to enable this lending so essentially what kudos did is hey we will be the infrastructure layer nbfc okay mm-hmm. where we will provide for the whole back end to fintechs okay and fintechs can come and build on top of the kudos platform and you and that way they can focus on product innovation and distribution so like for example let's look at today if a fintech had an idea or a hypothesis about a particular 
credit behavior of a segment. Let's assume that is education finance or gig economy or agriculture finance. Let's just see what all does a, a FinTech need to do to make that a reality, go test that hypothesis, right? We need to go convince a bank, an NBFC to provide the capital, right? I need to go ahead and authenticate the um, customer. I need to check his PAN card, the PAN card that he submitted is right, Aadhaar card. I need to make sure that the Sybil or the bureau score that he's, uh, the bureau score that he's sharing is the right one to fit for my credit grid. I need to go ahead and, you know, when I disperse the money, I need to give that digitally to him through a payment gateway that could be Razor Pay or PTM or Cash Free or PayU. Uh, when the customer does accept to take the loan, I need an e-sign from the customer, right? When, if I'm going to take an EMI from the customer, I need an e-natch. The, all the, you have to go through right. all of this circus and then you need to go back and set out what you were meant to do, which is, hey, I know how to give this guy, this customer a loan and collect on that, correct? I know his credit need. All of that takes six to nine months. And you're doing it at various crazy price points because you don't have scale as yet, right? So essentially what Kudos does is brings all of these APIs under one universe, right? Mm -hmm. For authentication, for underwriting, for disbursement, for collection, e-natch, e-sign, all of that at a rock bottom price, okay? So essentially FinTechs can integrate with us, get all these services at the best price possible so that they can focus on product innovation and distribution, right? And you can do this in a fraction of a time that it would have usually taken you to do it. So instead of six to nine months of going around and running around this hoopla, hey, you can go test this hypothesis in one week's time. So right. that's what we bring to the table. Wow, wow. This is like music to my ears uh, <laughs> for various reasons. I, I, I think in this country, fintechs, uh, like when we started, uh, you know, doing a lot of bank fintech integrations back like four, five years back, um, sometimes it would take like nine months or 12 months, right? So it's it's great to hear, uh, you know, the work that you're doing. Uh, over to you, Salil. You know, I, I, I'm sure you have a bunch of questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to, um, you know, continue with what you just mentioned. Does, does your target segment continue to be um, MSMEs or... Uh... Or does it also include consumers? So no, now so we gave our last B two C loan in two thousand nineteen of Jan. Okay. Okay. All right. And since then, we are a complete B two B two C lender. All right. And the way we evaluate our partnerships is a very simple three point framework. Okay. As long as it's API led lending. Okay. Um, two. It needs to be short in tenure and we define tenure as could be as little as a month and as much as 12 months, okay? And the ticket size, again, can be as little as 5,000 and could be as much as, you know, two lakh rupees, okay? As long as it fits through this three-point framework, we have partners in education space, education finance, in um, agriculture finance, in gig economy finance, in healthcare financing, in insurance premium financing, um, in, in merchants for e-commerce, various, as long as it fits through this three-point framework. We're not in the book building business where, where our AUM, we give our loan for two years or three years. We're more, we're in the disbursement business, right? So it needs to be short tenure because it gives us a greater visibility on how the customers to behave, 
because you and I can't even reasonably predict what's going to happen in the world, leave alone, you know, in a customer's life for, for two years, right? I mean, if 2020 was a phenomenal year where all your assumptions and your presumptions were challenged and how quickly the world can change. So we're going to go with that hypothesis that, you know, the shorter the tenure, the more customized the credit need, the end use control lending is what we do, right? That's, I hope that answers your question. Right. No, absolutely. And uh, how much of verticalization do you really do in the process? And by that, what I mean is you spoke about different sectors, right? You might be lending to, uh, you know, head tech, you might be lending to, um, you know, uh, the gig economy, let's say delivery and so on and so forth. And although at the foundational level, a lending product is what it is. I mean, there's a product, you give out money and you, um, you have a repayment schedule and you collect, but I'm sure, you know, there are those variations which come about in uh, different sectors. So while you spoke about the foundational elements, some of the absolute building blocks, such as customer verification and uh, other parts of onboarding, how much of, you know, um, those verticalized specifics around those sectors do you really incorporate into your platform so that it makes a lot more easier for, uh, you know, your partners from both sectors to consume? So I think the way you got to look at it is that there's a network effect in play over here. Okay. So each incremental partner that we onboard right now, let's just, let's just look at like education finance. Now we have like four education finance companies, all right. Fintechs that are working with us. Revenue-based financing is another five in agriculture finance. You got like another couple of three, four, each incremental uh, partner gives us a network effect in terms of our operational capability. And each customer that comes on board gives us a, capability to better underwrite and help the next partner that's coming on board, right? So that's how we would look, that's how, you know, we would look at this uh, situation that the verticalization of this product is, as long as it goes to this three-point framework, that it needs to be technology-led, short and tenure, smaller ticket size, we would go ahead and onboard it because we're building for Bharat, right? And we're building for like customized lending and end-use control lending. And they usually perform much better than just giving an open-ended loan that here, take this loan and do whatever you want with it and pay me back after two years. Right, right. And, uh, you know, coming to the architecture and the stack, because this is a very tech-driven initiative and that, uh, you know, it's, it's probably the most critical component of what you do. I just wanted to, you know, get a sense of uh, how do you go about, how, how did you go about and how do you go about maintaining your entire tech stack, I mean, how much of it was really built, grounds up? Uh, did it take a long time for you to get off the blocks? Um, and, you know, how much of it is really off the shelf in terms of its software components, build versus buy? If you could spend a few minutes on that. Sure, no problem. So again, I think that just a little bit of analogy in terms of the way we started and where we are is, is very different, right? And you and I are witnessing the digitization of the world right in front of our eyes, correct? And from taking Kodak photos in, in, a, in a photo roll to having digital cameras, um, you know, from interacting and sitting across each other to Zoom videos, right? Like almost every aspect of our life is getting digitized. So in this journey, uh, it's been organic for us because we started off as a traditional lender. But as time's gone on, we've gone ahead and um, built organic tech capability. And some of them were as simple as, you know, like, hey, can we do this uh, integration with a payment gateway or from getting the bureau access to 
you know, building Aadhaar and NSDL direct integration with them to authenticate a PAN card. So we added EKYC. First, we added disbursements. Then we added EKYCs. Then we added eNatch capabilities or disbursement capabilities, collection capabilities. Then we went ahead and built out, like say, data underwriting capabilities that will help our fintech partners. We have built out our own data warehouse because we've done over 3 million loans and it's all paperless. There's not one paper in our office um, for all the 3 million loans that we've done. And the database of the customers is over 1 million customers that helps us understand for each segment, how do they behave um, for education finance? What is the default ratio? What makes a good customer for a buy now, pay later product? What is the right uh, you know, customer mix for a gig economy? Um, what's the right mix for even a, um, there are partnerships that we're working on that are digitizing the microfinance segment, right? I mean, that's like the holy grail. If I can digitize the microfinance experience and take that online, then that's going to be phenomenal. So we built our tech stack in an organic manner and it's an ongoing process, right? Like, so we've, out of a 40, out of a 48 member team, around 20 people are in tech and we constantly add more and more people into it. In fact, on this podcast, I want to take a shout out that we're building a lot of stuff on it and we would love for, you know, uh, like-minded people to come and join on our journey in building out this uh, tech stack. Um, so the idea was to, we're always targeting the FinTech's product managers, right? Because we want to solve for them. Each, each FinTech has a unique problem in terms of how you're catering to the segment. Not all of the loans are simple as here, take a loan and pay me in four months and equated EMIs. Some of the loans will say that, hey, I want to disperse 75% of the money right now, 25% of the money two months later, okay? Some, some uh, FinTech partners have an innovation that, okay, we're going to do a two-tranche disbursement, right? Some uh, partners will have a credit line facility, right? Hey, this is an open line of credit for 45 days. The customer is going to scan a QR code. And then the moment he scans a QR code to the merchant, the payment needs to go to that merchant. So now you need to build all of these capabilities to help the FinTechs focus on product innovation and distribution. So, and like I said, each partner, as they add a capability, it gives a network effect in terms of our um, capabilities. So now if tomorrow, like five buy now, pay later FinTechs come, I say, great, right? We know exactly what you need, right? There is an incremental innovation in how you're delivering the form factor to the customer. If you're an education finance, I want to do two transfer disbursement. I would understand that what all the capabilities that you need so that we can make you go live faster and cater on your, and you can pr focus on product innovation and distribution. So um, a lot of it was organic where we built out the LOS. Uh, we call it the ELAP, which is enterprise lending as a, a platform. So that's our in-house capability where all the loans are uh, you know, staged on it. And through that, we track all our MIS. We go ahead and give all the capabilities to FinTechs and all the services that you, that you need through that API stack. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, the, and that, that also kind of explains very well um, you know, how you innovate on the product side because not every, uh, like I said, you know, probably the fundamentals of a loan always remains the same, but the repayment pattern changes depending on the target segment. Uh, you can't go and, you know, possibly talk about EMI loans to a micro, micro, um, you know, seller 
whose cash flows are not aligned with uh, EMIs and, uh, you know, very well explained. Uh, uh, I just wanted to, um, you know, since you spend some time on, uh, uh, you know, the word partners quite a bit, and I wanted to go a little deeper into it, especially putting in context, you know, what's really happening around us uh, and what has happened around us during the COVID period of time. We know the online lending scam, uh, which was just unearthed, uh, you know, huge proportions, thousands and thousands of apps, uh, um, you know, being, uh, you know, operating in the market uh, at a scale which was not really known, uh, capital on the desperation of people. We know the whole story now and how it is unfolding now. Now, I know you spoke a bit about, uh, you know, the three-point framework that you follow, but I just wanted to understand a bit more. Detail. Now, given this context um, and the fact that, you know, the RBI is, um, you know, uh, sort of telling all the lenders to be extra careful and exercise due diligence, what are the kind of extra precautions that you as, an, uh, as a lender would put in place to ensure that your partners are, uh, are golden? Uh, they are reliable partners and they have some credibility around them and uh, you know these kind of cases do not really happen sure i think that let's i think that answer can be the question can be answered in two parts right one is that hey what kind of a company are you yourself because what you attract is a function of what you are also right on an esoteric sense and even on a company level right it's a function of what kind of people that you'll have in your team what are the capabilities that you have what are the partners that you have what are the lenders that you have so just about ours, us ourselves, right? We have over 11 lenders, right? We have four banks, seven NBFCs that are catering to us, correct? We're a rated NBFC. We've done enough vintage in through, seen enough cycles from DMON to GST to DHLF, ILFS crisis to Yes Bank to 2020 COVID. And, and during that time, we didn't even take any Morats or, you know, uh, delayed any payments or did any layoffs or did any pay cuts. That's just how the strength right. of the company is. So invariably what happens is that you start delivering A players attract A players. So when we onboard FinTechs, a lot of the FinTechs that are actually um, coming onto our platform are actually introduced to us by tier one and tier two VCs, okay? Now, mm -hmm. and how does that happen actually? Well, for us, we don't have any marketing cost because a bunch of VCs are sitting around and they are putting money in fintechs who have a particular hypothesis. So they want to back that hypothesis, right. correct? So now when you back that hypothesis, you need to actually go test if that is going to actually play out in the market. So when they, when they fund a fintech, they actually make that introduction to us. It's like, hey, well, here's an, a fintech that we, introduce, we uh, put money in um, and we want them to partner with you. Can you, can you see like how you can help them? Um, and so that acts as a major funnel, right? For you to come, for those, for those kind of fintechs to come and build on your platform, which itself goes through one check uh, from the VCs themselves. Um, but once they do come in, we do have our own uh, in-house um, you know, format as to how we evaluate the partner that is taking the promoter's credentials. Have, do they have sectorial experience? Are they VC funded? Um, if you are an existing fintech, well, what are your portfolio delinquencies, right? <clears throat> how, how is your capital, uh, capital placed out? Do you have any tech orientation? Do you, right. do you check the company banking, the KYC credentials for onboarding? Um, so all of these steps go ahead and act as a, as a first filter before we go live. And 
even during the onboarding and integration process, if things fall off um, from, if there is any reason to believe that some of the things don't add up, we have terminated partnerships, correct? And even after the partnership goes live, we run a quarterly audit on our partners, right? That since we were we signed on certain terms in terms of where is the data stored, well, how are you, what are the collection practices? How are you? Um, if there any, we have set up a customer care, you know, uh, center where if there's any customer complaint, then we would go ahead and take action on the partners. So all of these measures go ahead and right. build credibility. So what what happens is that eventually the wrong kind of fintech just never comes approaches us, right? I mean, there are so many NBFC that are out there that would be happy to take on the business, but at a, at a risk of uh, attracting the wrong fintech. So in that sense, we negate that by doing these uh, checks on our partners, especially during, during this time. I'm glad that we did all that. Right, yeah, absolutely. Amit, you wanna come in? Yeah, um, so on the lighter side, <laughs> you know, you talked about Bhaskar, I know, um, uh, you know, a couple of other people who have joined you. It seems like you are sort of gobbling up all the tech talent in Pune. <laughs> How is that going? I don't know, man. I think I'm just lucky. That's it, right? That, um, you know, such great, awesome people are, have come on board. And like, even from Bhaskar to like Naresh, my co-founder, right? He was from, he joined me in 2018. And uh, he was actually the business head for uh, professional loans at Bajaj Finance. So he came on board and just helped like really take the company to the next level and bringing the best practices in terms of operations, in terms of compliances, and in terms of, you know, taking this rocket ship to the next level. And even Sachin, who was like one of the founding members of Walnut um, is part of our team. So I'm really proud, you know, as to what we have going on over here. And we're always looking for new talent to come in, help us take this ship forward. Right. No, it's very interesting. Like Pune has this, uh... Uh, you know, availability of both finance as well as tech talent. And obviously good companies attract great people. So, you know, it seems like it's going very well for you. Um, uh, I, I also wanted to ask you about, um, uh, you know, uh, so, so for example, I, I remember that I sort of, uh, you know, one of the companies I was talking to, which is uh, trying to integrate with you. And one of the things that, um, uh, strike me is the the time it takes to integrate right and you have really really shortened it and as you said it could be one week but on an average um in the last 10 or 15 uh, you know sort of partnerships that you have done how much time did it take for the fintech to go live so there are two again these are two parts to that there are two parts to this answer right one is like hey what is the portion of tech integration that they require with us and then some that they need for their own selves, which is for the customer facing, right? So I'll give you an example, right? Like sometimes what happens is like the partner will go in and finish the integration with us and that can happen in as little as four to seven days. But once they finish the integration, they would usually go back. And what they would do is that they would go back to build out their own app that is the customer facing app. And that could take some time, right? That could take like another week or two weeks, or three weeks, depending on where they are in the life cycle. So in order to solve for that problem, what we're doing right now is that we're currently building out a, a wireframe of an app that they can just go ahead, like think of it like the body of a car is already built out, right? Now you can just mm -hmm. kind of customize the car to whatever you want it to be, right? I want it to look like this. I want like, you know, this kind of shape on the car. 
So we built out the wireframe and then we just give that wireframe to the, to the partner and then they can customize that app. And that again, will go ahead and minimize that time for them to go to market. And just about the business itself, right? And we just wanted to elaborate like one point on it that yeah. what, like apart from the obvious thing that is time is the most valuable thing, right? Like you and I can earn back money and friends and so on and so on. Yeah. Not a thing, material things we can win back, but we can never win back time, correct? What is the value of that time that we, A, we solve for that unequivocally, unequivocally, right? The second thing that we solve for is like the cost of delivery for the FinTech, right? Now, in terms of that, let's look at it. Like I'll give you the most simple example, like for Bureau, for Bureau, if a new FinTech goes and approaches a Bureau and says that, hey, listen, I want to evaluate this customer. It's a 20,000 rupee loan. And Bureau will say like, okay, great. Like, you know, hey, uh, you can access it and uh, we will charge you like 80 or 100 rupees, right? Because you don't have the scale. But with us, we can make that one-tenth the cost. Now, immediately, if you had to evaluate 10 customers, I just we just dropped their cost down by 90%. That means now that report is viable for you to deliver at scale for a small loan. And, then, and this is true for almost any service, right? That the Kudos platform enables for fintechs. That could be your authentication underwriting and, and data analytics to help you help you boost. So the, the company basically has these two sorts of revenues that are taking shape. One is like a traditional NBFC where you have an interest and processing fee, but that just happens to be one of the smallest items on our balance sheet. But like the main thing is all the services that our fintechs use. And we become like a master aggregator for all these services at a rock bottom price. So we, we're all about enabling fintechs and become a vehicle for financial innovation for all fintechs to come on board. We wanna be the de facto name where fintechs can come and use our platform and deliver. Um, that's that's our story. Great. Salim? Right. Um, let's let's look at uh, the uh, you know access to credit as a main issue over here. So we you know we've got several numbers uh, going around almost uh, 65 million I guess uh, uh, small businesses in India, um, almost 99% of them being uh, micro enterprises, and I think the World Bank number says the credit gap is around 400 billion dollars. Um, can you spend a little bit of time, Pavitra, explaining, you know, the whole issue of access to credit and uh, how can it be really improved? We seem to be having all the technology infrastructure built at the foundational level. We have the India stack out there. There are a lot more things happening around open credit enablement network. Uh, we have, um, uh, you know, uh, companies like yours working with uh, uh, fintech partners. When do you see all of this coming together and, you know, we moving at, uh, you know, uh, at an explosive scale so that this huge gap of $400 billion can really be plugged in? What's your view on that? Yeah, I feel like, you know, ever since, I mean, you know, this, this, this coming of India story, right? Like we've constantly been hearing about it since like years now, right? Hey, this is the yeah. decade and this is the decade. And of course, India has like so much potential, right? That it needs to be unlocked. And unfortunately, some, you know, maybe it's politics or maybe there's things that keep sort of hold the country back. But I'm still optimistic that in, in, in the general sense, we're always moving forward, right? Things are always better than they were uh, than they were yesterday and the last year and the five years before that. So 
I, I agree with you that like what we've been able to do in terms of, if, if you look at the US network, right, you have, in terms of payments even, you have these closed systems, right? Like you have ACH plus Visa, if you have to uh, deliver some money. In China, you have another piece of, uh, you know, infrastructure where how payments are moving around. But India is truly open, right? Like I can pay from my PTM wallet to Google Pay to phone pay. These are all interoperable, right? Whereas like if in US, if you have a cash app or a PayPal app, I can't pay you if I have from cash app to pay, you know, to PayPal or to Square. So in that sense, like India has all that infrastructure layer solved out for us to monetize it, right? And, and then 2020 was literally the setup year, right? It needed like a catharsis moment where you take um, the digital transformation, what could have taken five years, it just kind of like got like a 420 shock voltage to <laughs> make it really fast. I mean, four years ago, if you and I, we were told that, hey, listen, you're not going to be using cash anymore, right? You and I would be like, what are you talking about? Of course, I need cash everywhere I go, I need cash. But now you and I take our phone and we walk around and we use it, right? Like, I don't need that much cash anymore. I was in Uttarakhand right now, like for my New Year's and in Mukteshwar in a small town, this guy selling bail is taking up, has put up a QR code, doesn't even need cash. So all that, all, all the infrastructure layers played out, but I, that's one aspect, right? You need the infrastructure and then you need economic growth. And I think that because of 2020, the lockdowns and the shutdowns and for, for people's lives safety, they have taken the country a few years behind. People have lost jobs, businesses have gone down. So that needs some recovery phase. So what essentially happens is that although it's such a big country, of like a billion plus people, the, the true credit borrowers that are actually good is still fractionally small, right? And unless we solve for their livelihood where they can get actual jobs that are meaningful and they are skilled enough to take those jobs and we can provide the credit for them to upskill, to learn better, uh, to add facets to their life so that they can get gainfully employed, that real shift we're not going to get, right? But I think that the infrastructure is all there. Now it is just a function of getting uplifting people, you know, from each substrata of the pyramid to a higher level. And credit is part of that answer. It's not the whole answer, right? It never is, but it's part of the answer. And I know there is enough money out there in the market that wants to come. I mean, the way, you know, there's liquidity awash right now in the market. With, with the uh, Reserve Bank of India and central banks around the world, they're printing money, interest rates are going down, but you need it for it to reach the right people at the right cost. Unfortunately, the ones who need it the most always have to pay for it the most, right? Yeah. Um, so technology is playing its part, right? I mean, think about it from, if I wanted to give traditional lenders cannot do like a small ticket size loan because the cost of delivery is too high, right? Like. I need so many people, I need to do so many legs, but technology can bring that cost down. But right. we also need to make sure that we get people to be gainfully employed so that they can take that credit and improve their lives. So I feel that it's happening. Could it happen faster? Of course, but um, I think we're on the right track. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're probably it's because I mean, we are awash with uh, credit, um, you know, as we always read from where 
courses, but it doesn't seem to be really going down into, is it a question of, uh, you know, um, inability to do risk management effectively? And of course, a lot of these borrowers uh, may not be very thick filed, which means you need a lot more data. But today we, we seem to have all the data sources out there to uh, do a much more, uh, you know, comprehensive evaluation of someone who may not essentially have a huge credit history because we've fundamentally been a cash-based economy for a very long time. So have you seen that changing in the last uh, three to four years because of the amount of digital data that we have generated, um, you know, all said and done, uh, digital activity has gone up, even though cash hasn't really gone down, but digital activity has gone up. So we have generated sufficient amount of data. Is that getting leveraged effectively today? So again, I feel that is the data there? I, okay, just a little bit about, you know, just like how money itself is changing, correct? Like everything is getting digitized, including your, your and my money. And central banks around the world are, are, are you know, debating about CBDCs, right? Um, how can I bring a digital currency yeah. in play? And most of your money is just zeros and ones anyways, right? In the bank, if you actually go to the bank and ask him for the money, if 15% of the people go to the bank and ask for all their deposits, then for withdrawals, then the bank doesn't even have that money. So that's yeah. fractional reserve lending. But I feel that um, in terms of liquidity, it's always been there. We just need to go ahead and, and the data is getting increasingly more. So um, UPI transactions for like three rupees, five rupees, 10 rupees and smaller transactions are happening. So now that leaves a paper trail for the merchant or the, the Kirana store or for the small Wadapau store. And that will lead to you know, a better handle on what the true cash flow of that individual is. And if I have a true handle on his cash flow, I can better underwrite you because you are only, I can only give you a loan for X, Y, Z. And, and that's the whole objective of OKEN, right? I mean, what, what Nandan Nilakalani and the whole India stack is built out is envisioning a world where if I can just share my data to you, then there are loan service providers who take that data and then they would go ahead and give it, show it to banks and then the banks would just make a direct, uh, you know, lend to that end customer. Essentially, in some way, we're already running, running the OKEN model, correct? Where here are customers, here's the data point, and LSPs are what? Essentially just fintechs, right? That we are, we are partnering with. And then sure. we, are the, we are the lenders. So banks are increasingly moving to the back end, right? And more and more technology firms are going to take the front end of the, of the customer experience because banks are archaic in nature. You can't get your HDFC bank to, you don't even use your HDFC bank account or ICC bank to make your payments. You go to Google Pay and Phone Pay and Paytm to check your balance or make transfers. So that user experience is changing. And with that, more and more digitized payments are happening, which is leading to more data sets uh, true data about the, the borrower and that will lead to better underwriting. So that's my take on it. Right. Okay, okay. So final question, uh, Pavitra, if, uh, you know, if someone is interested in partnering with you, how do they go about reaching you? Um, okay. What are the different channels through which they can get connected? Is there a possibility that they can actually engage with you in a trial period where they can try out a technology? How does it all happen? Yeah, A, you can always find me on LinkedIn, right? That's one. But we made yeah. a, uh, a site, right? It's called docs.kudosfinance.in. Um, I don't know if you can insert a link at the end of this podcast, but 
if they just go on that uh, on on the web address docs.kudosfinance.in, you'll find a list of all our APIs. You have a way to contact us. Um, um, you can go ahead and you know try some things. You can evaluate that. Hey, this is exactly what I need, and you can see all our capabilities on that. Um, so we have our whole tech team aligned for that. We're also always looking for talent. And I said this earlier in the podcast and, and I'm trying to end it also on that note that we, we're always looking for great talent to come and join us in this, in this mission. So these are the two best ways that you can go ahead and see and reach out to us if we're the right partners for you. And I guarantee you that we are. Wonderful. Pavitra, it's been a great conversation with you. As always, you know, we love talking to companies that are very stable um, you know, uh, put the pieces together in the ecosystem and drive the whole thing forward with a clear social objective. And I think, uh, you know, I'm sure kudos will go a long way, you know, uh, in, in achieving what objectives we spoke about. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot for your time. Uh, thanks to all our listeners for tuning in uh, to this podcast. Until the next episode, stay safe. Thank you, Salil. Thank you, Amit.